The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now, it's a good time to be talking about copper. It's pushed back through $4 a pound. Uh, visible stockpiles are at uh, the lowest level since 2005, and people are starting to worry about where future copper for the electric vehicle revolution and decarbonisation of the world is going to come from. Now, we have one uh, a stock here today that's part of the answer. It's hot chili. The code is HCH trading at around $1.07 for a market cap of 130. Now, uh, they have a project in Chile, which we'll talk about at length in a moment, but I'll just mention in the copper space, on the ASX in particular, we've just seen uh, BHP absorb Oz Minerals, a few things they have to run through for, uh, to complete, but it was a $9.5 billion acquisition, essentially for Oz's uh, South Australian copper production interests. And before that, we saw Rio Tinto, uh, spend up big to take out the minorities in its uh, Oya Tolgoi project in Mongolia. So the big boys are buying up what copper they can because of that outlook that I was talking about earlier. So great time to be talking about copper. Now, Hot Chili does have a big resource already, uh, but uh, it's uh, drilling and adding, has been adding regularly to the uh, total take there. And I'll just mention that Glencore, another big boy in the mining industry, must like, sorry, because it's got 9% of the stock. So with that, I'll introduce Christian Easterday, the MD of the company. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for your time today. Well, thank you, Barry. Great introduction. Uh, certainly very timely uh, given uh, the movements in the copper space and the M&A activity around it. Mm. So what's your take on what's going on in that M&A space, Christian? Yeah, look, M&A is, is, a, is a really great barometer uh, for any sector, Um Generally, you see large mining transactions uh, in the mining space uh, as a prelude to, uh, to a lift in the particular commodity price. And what we've seen in the last, uh, the last few months and, and, and certainly last year is that copper has now overtaken uh, gold as the largest by value um, of M&A transactions. And this year, we've seen it continue to accelerate, uh, most notably the BHP uh, takeover for Oz Minerals. Um, and that was, that was obviously announced uh, earlier in the year and, and Oz shareholders have just accepted that. So uh, we see a, a real shift in the exposure that the Australian market has to this uh, commodity slice in copper, the second largest metal market in the world, sitting at $4 a pound and with uh, a lot of the investment banks and think tanks like Groenig and Wurzenweg uh, starting to call uh, a complete re-rate in the copper price, um, similar to what happened to lithium, similar to what happened to iron ore. Uh, fast forward in the last couple of weeks, we've seen almost um, every second day an M&A transaction announced in the, in the copper space. And these are large transactions. Uh, Glencore's uh, proposal to take over tech uh, would make it one of the largest deals ever announced in the resource sector. Um, that is playing out in the background and 
and and I guess these are all very very positive signs for uh, what is occurring in in the copper space. Um, a complete shift in demand uh, that is widely forecast and accepted across the industry, uh, meeting uh, a real inertia for the sector to produce a supply response. And I guess what's really positive for me is to, to see all of this interest finally occurring and most importantly to realise that takeovers, um, as impressive as they are and the numbers are very large in copper when copper is in a good price environment, uh, they do not produce one extra pound of copper. And that is the most important thing that we are facing here is the inability of the copper sector uh, to produce an elastic response to demand. And we saw that in iron ore in the early 2000s. We saw it in the late teens with lithium and both of those uh, commodities enjoyed almost tenfold lifts. So to be sitting at a, at a price of around $4 a pound today and a lot of the investment banks calling $8 and $10 a pound, mm -hmm. um, the mind boggles when you start to think about exposure of large copper equities um, to that re-rate. And I guess for Hot Chili, uh, holding the largest copper resource um, on the ASX, uh, now probably outside of BHP Billiton, um, we have extreme exposure to the commodity space. 3.4 million tonnes of contained copper metal, 3 million ounces of gold at 82% measured in indicated category and one of the most advanced large-scale developers. So the vacuum that Oz Minerals is going to leave on the ASX um, offers uh, hot chili shareholders um, direct exposure uh, to to what is about to occur in the copper space and more importantly um, offers the Australian market um, one of the very few uh, copper stocks that has real leverage to uh, to the cop to the copper thematic. I mentioned your market cap at the start there. I'll see how good you are with the mental maths. What do you reckon um, your market cap is uh, cents per pound sort of valuation? At the moment our, our valuation sits at uh, about just around one cent per pound. <laughs> and if you take a look at the North American market uh, on an average basis, large-scale copper equities are valued at anywhere between uh, four to six cents a pound when you take out the outliers such as Philo, uh, mm. Mining and, and Solaris, some of the real front runners over there. So the mismarry between the North American market and the Australian market for large-scale copper plays um, is alive and well. Um, but what that offers the Australian market is is something um, quite dramatic. Uh, if we're talking about uh, you know Oz Minerals being taken over with a 120,000 ton per annum project, which is not a large scale mm. production base in the global copper space, um, you know that gives you some idea of what these projects are worth in a good market. Fast track four dollar per pound copper to a six or an eight dollar per pound copper and the 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 leverage to that metal is is absolutely astronomical yeah. and so for a company uh, such as hot chili which is um, five years away from uh, being in a position of producing a little more than what oz minerals is producing today um, it gives investors some idea as to as to what may occur and uh, i mentioned lithium and i mentioned iron ore and you know, you, you sit back and you say, well, if I knew that the lithium price was going to multiply by 10, 
what would I have wanted to invest in? Would I have wanted to invest in a small high-grade lithium player or would I have wanted to invest in a Pilbara Minerals or, or, uh, or, or one of the large exposures? And similarly in the, in the iron ore space, would you have wanted to invest in a high-grade Midwest iron ore player or would you have wanted to invest in an FMG? Mm. And that is really, I suppose, behind the strategy of hot chili. Um, he who has the most metal wins. And uh, in terms of strategy, so you're not put, uh, out to you know, push the development button and start spending uh, on capital equipment uh, too early. Uh, the strategy at the moment seems to be keep growing this resource until it gets to a point when both North America and Australia can't ignore the scale. That's, that's right. I mean, we sit here with a top 10 undeveloped copper project globally um, on the coastline of Chile, low altitude, um, clean concentrate, um, one of the highest categorised, measured in indicated resource bases in the sector. Uh, and we have been, uh, I guess, completing a pre-feasibility that we put on hold last year, about 80% of it complete, studying a project of around about 100,000 tonnes per annum copper production and, and around about 50 to 70,000 ounces of gold production. Uh, we paused that last year. The market was certainly not conducive for expenditure going towards development. Um, and, and my, how that changed in, in the space of a few weeks. Uh, however, uh, what that has uh, given us the ability to do is to dream a little bigger. Um, we are going through a period of further consolidation on the coastline, really looking to uh, wrap up the entire region under one umbrella with one large-scale production hub built, drawing from multiple large-scale deposits. And what that has meant is that we've pushed back our pre-feasibility into the first half of next year, and we're giving ourselves an opportunity this year um, to be able to increase that resource base, which is just under 1 billion tonnes, uh, and, and really try to scale the project up towards a 150,000 tonne per annum project. Um, so that would be... Uh, a very, very long time since the Australian market has had a copper uh, developer or producer um, at that scale. I see you have a North American listing now. Is that just to, uh, well, we'll deepen the investor base, but also because, we, as we were talking about earlier, just the higher value they're currently putting on? That's, that's, that's right, Barry, and that's something we recognised in the last cycle, um, something that the guys at Equinox, the last time Australia had a large-scale copper developer and ultimately a producer that was taken over by Barrick, um, they were at a valued at a, at a dramatic discount to the North American market and they migrated towards a dual listing and, and eventually, after two or three years, um, moved the liquidity towards the North American market where the North American market began to sort of dictate the price. Right. And, and that rate re-rate was quite dramatic, uh, as, as, as we all know. It was one of the, the, the bigger success stories um, the Australian market has, has sort of, I, I guess, uh, incubated. So we're, we're very much trying to emulate that. Um, our initial uh, listing has created a beachhead. We, we, we don't have a lot of liquidity over in the North American market at this point, so the Australian market uh, is, is very much where the price is being dictated. Uh, however... Uh, over the coming year or two, what we plan to do is to drive liquidity towards the North American market and start to, to really uh, focus in on uh, the funding of this project, which will be a circa uh, $1 to $1.3 billion project um, to put into production. Uh, if we're able to uh, upscale it towards 150,000 tonne per annum, 
uh, I imagine it will still be um, well sub $2 billion project to build, um, which is quite extraordinary for that amount of metal production. It puts us well entrenched within the first quartile of capital intensity. And that's really taking advantage of our low altitude elevation, the fact that we have water um, and are sitting next to port and infrastructure. Christian, one of the things that stands out for me is when you look at, uh, I don't know, say a, a, cas a Cascabel in uh, Ecuador, a project that's uh, owned by uh, the London listed company that uh, both BHP and uh, Newcrest, funnily enough, are invested in. Yeah, great resource. Um, grade is fairly similar, but it starts at five, 600 metres. A big component of your mineralisation is open cut position. Is that correct? That's right. We, we, we intend to take about 70% of the resources out of the ground via large-scale open pit, principally between our two deposits, Productura and Cordadera, which sit about 14 kilometres apart, um, straddling the Pan American Highway. And, uh, and those will be connected to a, to a central processing plant with a rope conveyor moving ore from about 1,000 metres altitude or elevation to, uh, to 800 metres elevation. And so when you, when you start to compare against our peers, um, you know, I guess what hot chilli is, is, is a very low risk play within the senior copper space. Um, you know, Cascabel is a, is a fantastic discovery a huge bank of metal that they put together there in Ecuador, um, but a very different risk profile being, mm. being a, a large block cave that starts at 600 metres um, depth. Uh, and then I think when you when you look at the layer on top that all of these large-scale copper developers are principally in the Americas and they're principally at very high elevations, um, 4,000 metres, 4,500 metres, uh, the guys at uh, Sol Gold are, are not that high. They're around 3,000 metres. But um, there, is, there is a large cost to developing projects of that scale in the high Andes. And one of the largest impediments to all of these developments, um, not so much Sol Gold, but if you look at the Philo Minings or the Solarises or uh, the Jose Marias of the world, um, is water. Without water, it's very hard to build mines. And when you're not allowed to work, extract water from the, from the ground anymore, then you're talking about um, extracting water from the coastline, getting pipelines to pump water into the high Andes. These are multiple billion dollar exercises just to provide water for processing. And, and that is one of the things that has really set our development apart in terms of a low risk open pit development with our own water licenses in place and the ability to process using seawater. So um, they're, they're some of the things that really differentiate us in the large scale space. Okay, just on the uh, near term um, potential to increase the resource, I understand a resource update, upgrade uh, expected in the second half of this year. Where will that be coming from? Yeah, correct. Well, look, we did a lot of drilling last year uh, as part of our pre-feasibility. Uh, we we're also moving through a series of prioritised targets that uh, Dr. Steve Garwin, who is leading our technical team and exploration group on the ground, um, have been developing and, and working on for a number of years. Uh, last year, we uh, put a lot more drilling into Cordadera. Uh, we also tested a number of targets over at, at Productura and, and, uh, and had, had reasonable success. Uh, and we've continued to 
to push that theme this year. Um, our drill rigs are now targeting a much larger potential porphyry cluster, which has been outlined at Cordadera, uh, and we've been able to unlock through uh, another consolidation deal that was announced late last year with Antofagasta Minerals, uh, one of the Chilean uh, copper majors. And that's given us uh, given us some more real estate to play with. Uh, we're, we're very uh, systematically going through a phase drill program. We've just completed phase one, uh, released some very good results a couple of weeks ago and have a few more results coming to the market shortly. But um, this, this is very much a methodical approach by Hot Chili. We have a number of targets within our own land holding. Uh, we'll be uh, in the next phase drilling a very exciting target. We've been waiting several years to drill, uh, Cordadera North, sitting about one kilometre to the north of our 600 million tonne deposit. Uh, that we'll be looking to uh, to put first drilling into uh, in the, in the coming uh, months, and also another uh, highly, uh, I suppose, attractive target, almost a Protatora lookalike uh, in uh, in Corotao, which we'll be drilling in our next phase. Uh, but then, outside of the targets that we're drilling uh, within our own land holding, we're also focusing on the remaining consolidation opportunities which have been identified in which Hot Chile has been in discussions with those regional landholders um, for many, many years. Uh, we believe that the entire region is capable of producing a tier one copper hub uh, and to, 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 to develop something like that on the Chilean coastline, you know, is almost unheard of. Um, the Chilean coastline has not produced um, a large scale hub like that since Candelaria was discovered by Phelps Dodge. Uh, so it's... um. It's an exciting period for the company. We're we're very busy on the on the on the commercial front uh, with those consolidation discussions. Our exploration team are very busy doing all of the work they need to do in front of the drilling campaigns. And of course, uh, you know you you cross your fingers with each hole that you drill, Barry. But um, but certainly the resource upgrade will be underpinned by a lot of drilling which has occurred uh, at Cordadera already. Now you're getting uh, very much to the pointy end of things there. Just uh, refreshes. When did you first enter the uh, the project? I went over there uh, with our former chairman Murray Black as a private group in 2008. A very similar uh, sort of condition where the resource sector was initially reeling uh, because of a GFC moment and global recession, and and actually that turned out to be uh, to be quite a shot in the arm for the resource sector and probably produced one of the biggest bull runs. Uh, the resource sector saw. Uh, we went over to consolidate uh, large projects in Chile and we, we were successful doing that with deals with a number of the majors. Uh, we listed in 2010 and for context, I think that this is also something the Australian market um, and the market in general, you know, is only starting to now appreciate because of the amount of media surrounding the copper sector and, and why it's potentially the next lithium in terms of a commodity that's capable of doing cartwheels with its, uh, with its price. Um, and it's the timeline it takes to develop a large-scale copper project. And when I say large-scale, we're talking about projects that are plus 100,000 tonne per annum producers. Um, they take an average of 17 to 21 years um, to progress through to production. So where we are at the moment, we're at the 13-year mark since listing and that gives us a significant advantage in terms of time frame to be able to monetize this within this coming copper cycle, which certainly 
um, appears to be very different to any cycle that we've seen previously. And in terms of all coming together uh, for the initial project, because I get a feeling you'll be uh, in this part of the world for decades, it's a multi-decade project we're looking at here, but the PFS in the first half of next year, is that correct? Yeah, pre-feasibility in the, next, uh, in the first half of next year, as I said, about 80% of that pre-feasibility is complete. Uh, actually, in the coming month, or coming two months, we'll be putting out a PEA, um, a scoping study, um, if you will, on our first look at what the production hub scale of around 100,000 tonne per annum copper production uh, will look like. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit strange for Hot Chili to go back and, and complete a scoping study. But if you recall, when we started this company, we made a great discovery called Productora, um, about a quarter of a billion tonne open pit uh, and it really needed more scale. And, and that's what Cordadera has really done for the company in terms of transforming our resource book and allowing us to scale up to, to be able to take advantage of economy of scale. And big copper projects in the world always are producing in the first quartile and second quartile, um, not because of grade, um, because of scale. And um, having studied these projects for um, over a decade, we know very well where our grade profile sits and what kind of production base we need to achieve to make it into the first quartile of production costs. And, and that is really behind our strategy to scale this project up towards a 150,000 tonne per annum. Um, if you are producing at C1 total cash costs of around $1.20, $1.30 per pound on a multi-decade project on an outlook for copper, um, well north of $4 per pound. I, I imagine you can see that a skinny margin um, business um, in, in, in large-scale copper, um, much the same as lithium was, much the same as iron ore was, suddenly dramatically turn around and become a high-margin business. And then it's all about how much copper you're actually producing into that. So um, that is really behind our, our strategy. We'll be delivering in the next... A month or two, um, certainly before the end before the end of June, a PEA on that first scale, and then we'll be doing everything we can to see if we can scale this up another fifty percent for the pre-feasibility in the first half of next year. Well, there we go, folks. Uh, Christian's outlined a, a great uh, leveraged exposure story, and funnily enough, it's not only to the copper price, but this potential fast emerging. Uh, a coastal province in the making at low elevation, which is has lots of capital intensity implications and uh, first quartile sort of production costs. And as Christian says, what's the copper price going to be in two, three, four, five years' time? A six dollars a pound, eight dollars a pound? Who knows? Exciting stuff, Christian. Unfortunately, we've run out of time today, but uh, thanks for your your time and fascinating story. And we'll all be watching with interest. So thanks again. Great, Barry. Thank you. Cheers.